Well, we have been in this worship series on the Gospel of Mark, and for those of you who read the email blast, this has been so much fun for me. I am just loving the Gospel of Mark. I hope you are too, and these opportunities to just learn more about what Jesus is up to in this Gospel. It's been wonderful. So today we're looking at the very end of Mark chapter 5. So if you'd like to, you can open up the Pew Bibles in front of you. You can follow along on the screens. It's verses 21 through 43. And as you'll recall, last week, Jesus was doing some ministry in the land of the Gerasenes, and then he got back on a boat to go back into Galilee. And that's where we pick up now Jesus' return into Galilee. So listen to God's word. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately, the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the gift of God's word. Join me in a word of prayer. 
Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So my wife and I have been uh, working on potty training with our daughter lately. I'm saying this slightly quietly because she might hear on the speakers down in the nursery right now. So this is between us, okay, in the sanctuary. This is between us. And we're using this technique. It's called elimination communication. I don't know if any of you have heard of this. It's called elimination. The idea is that as a body is developing and learning and growing, you can begin to see the signs of what's happening and you can make sign language to match. And then you help them learn how to use the potty early on. It's amazing. Um, it's been an incredible journey. And one of, the, one of the tools that we've used is my new favorite book. It's called Potty by Leslie Patricelli. And I want to read it to you all now, okay? We're going to read this book, all right? Danny's got it on the screens. And if you'd like to follow along, I have to go potty. I could go in my diaper. Should I go in my diaper? I don't want to. What does the kitty do? Oh. What does the doggy do? Oh. I really have to go. Should I go in my potty? I could try, I could try. <gasps> bye bye diaper. <gasps> What's that? Tinkle, tinkle, toot. I did it, hooray. Undies. Thank you for humoring me with that book. I love that book. <laughs> Let me tell you why I love this book so much. I love this book so much. I've read it a uh, hundred times, maybe 300 times now. <laughs> its brevity is wonderful, but it explains a journey, doesn't it? In 18 pages of perhaps if you might look at this pulpit and think about a world in which one uses diapers, and then there's this beautiful transition into a new world of potty over here represented by the baptismal font, right? Like, Profound change has taken place between that of, of diaper world and now we get to live into this new world of potty. Oh, this wonderful world of potty. I love this book and I love just the transition and the journey between these two ideas. It's so profound. I've been trying to find a way to capture what um, philosophers of science talk about as a paradigm shift. Have you ever heard this idea? So philosophers of science talk about this thing called paradigm shift, which means that you have a worldview of certain kind of theories that explain the world around you that you can interact with. And so philosophers of science will talk about like Newton's physics is a worldview. This is a theory in a way in which to understand the world around you and bodies in motion. And we have theories to explain these kinds of things if you're living in this world. But if you're introduced to Einstein's physics, it's like unbelievable. You can't even imagine how to get to Einstein's physics when you're in Newton's worldview. It looks like there's this big canyon between this world and that world. How would you ever get to Einstein's world just through thinking your way through it? Yet, 
Einstein has something of like a revelatory moment in which things become made aware to him. And now he can look back at Newton and go, oh yeah, I see those steps between there to here and how some of those things still make sense for large bodies in motion. But here in this world, I have a, I have a different kind of theoretical mindset or framework to understand the world from. And instead of seeing a, a chasm, I see a bridge. I can see steps that get me here. And I think this is the same idea with diapers and potty. <laughs> when, you, when you are trying so desperately as a parent to get over to that wonderful world over there, all you see is a canyon in front of you. <laughs> you may have theories, you may have ideas, you may have steps that you wish that could get you over there, but it's just a, it's a vague thing that takes place somewhere off in the distance in the future. You don't know how to get there necessarily. Yet, when you find yourself here, you can look back and go, oh yeah, that happened, and that happened, and that happened, and that happened, and here we are now in the promised land of potty. This, what I'm trying to explain through these examples, is, a, is really a conversion experience. A conversion experience from one reality to a new reality. And there's powerful conversion experiences that happen in the Gospel of Mark in these stories. From one place to another place. There's a profound journey as Jesus is doing his ministry when he gets back into Galilee. And it's framed around these two stories. When Jesus gets into Galilee, Jairus, who is a leader in the synagogue, he, he might be almost an equal, seen as an equal of Jesus's when he gets there. They're both leaders in the synagogue. And he comes to Jesus and he throws himself on the floor in front of Jesus and says, my little girl is sick. She's 12 years old. Will you please come and heal her? And Jesus accepts this mission to go and heal this little 12-year-old girl. On their way, they begin to go to Jairus's house and this massive crowd of people has gathered around Jesus and, and from within the crowd there is a sick woman, a hemorrhaging woman. She's been hemorrhaging blood for 12 years, 12 years. And the scriptures give even more details. She, she sought out doctors, physicians, healers to try to help her. No one's been able to help her. In her process of trying to get help, she's spent all of her money. She doesn't have any money anymore. And from within the crowd, she just says, if I can just but touch, touch Jesus' clothes, I will be made well. And she reaches out through the crowd and touches Jesus. And then there's this funny interaction between Jesus and the disciples, where Jesus said, somebody touched me. And the disciples say, how would you even know? There's so many people around you. It's like yesterday, if you were at the garage sale at the church, if you bumped into somebody and you said, who bumped into me? And they say, how would you even know? There's so many people around here. You would never know who bumped into you, right? So when he's in this massive crowd, and uh, the woman comes forth anyways to Jesus. And the scripture says she tells him the whole truth about what happened. And Jesus says the most beautiful words to this woman. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. These are such amazing and profound words. In the first century, it was a world built upon ideas of honor and status. So when Jairus comes to meet Jesus, Jairus can make this request of Jesus to heal his daughter because of first century honor code. Only people of equal status could make this kind of request of someone. But a woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years could not come to Jesus and make this kind of request to heal her 
It simply just would be frowned upon. It would not be allowed in that society. Beyond that, if she was bleeding for 12 years, Levitical laws would have made her unclean, and she couldn't touch a healer like Jesus. It would, might just make the healer unclean as well. And yet Jesus receives her touching. He receives it from her, and he says beautiful words to her. Right there on the mission to go heal Jairus' daughter, and he stops that mission to say to this woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. These are such beautiful and profound words. And once the scene ends, they move on, and they get to Jairus' house, and word has come that Jairus' daughter has died as a result of the delay. She wasn't well, and because Jesus stopped, she's died. And, and they get there, and there's weeping, and there's wailing happening inside of the house. Honestly, a, a 12-year-old girl dying, you could imagine that there would be weeping and wailing in that place. And when Jesus gets there, uh, he says to them, do not fear, only believe, only believe. And then he says to them, the girl is not dead, she's only asleep. And they laugh at Jesus. They laugh at Jesus when he says this to them. And then Jesus excuses a few people from the room. They move into her bedroom, and he says to the little girl, Talitha kum, which means get up, stand up. And she does, and she heals her. And the scripture says this amazing thing again. It says, and they were overcome with amazement. They were overcome with amazement. There's two sort of conversion experiences that happen in these stories, a, a transition from here to over there. When it pertains to the hemorrhaging woman, she was at the bottom of the status world, friends. She was at the bottom of the bottom. She was poor. She was destitute. She was sick. She couldn't touch people. But Jesus allows her to touch him, and she elevates her status from here to there. And she receives the status of being one of faith, one of faith. In the, the Gospel of Mark, as we've been hearing it for the past few weeks, remember how Jesus keeps telling the disciples they're those of little faith? It's so interesting. He elevates this woman to a higher status than even that of his disciples. She was over here. Now she's over there. She's become one of faith and a faith that has made her her well. And for the people inside of Jairus's house, they go through a profound transformation as well because I don't know if you heard it, but that stuck out to me in that part of the story when, when, Jesus, said, when Jesus said, she is not dead, she is just asleep, and they laughed at him. They laughed at him. Have not you ever been laughed at for your faith in your life, for the beliefs that you have? And then Jesus does his healing ministry, and they all transform over into this new reality of becoming overcome with amazement. There's this profound conversion that happens between here to here in this story. Jesus makes us well through our faith. Jesus makes us well through our faith. That part of the story when he tells that to the hemorrhaging woman that her faith has made her well, I think is really a big part of the story of what, of, of between these two contrasts, between these two realities of the conversion experience. I've been thinking this week, what does this story mean for Mark's community? What does this story mean for Mark's community? Because Mark's community has been separated from Jesus for a generation or two generations. It's been some 30 years since Jesus was in their midst. And you have to imagine that it's been 30 years and they have not seen these kinds of miracles that they remember. These miracles like 
Jesus healing the hemorrhaging woman. I mean, that's a miracle. 12 years of bleeding and then being touched by Jesus, now she's healed. Uh, A little girl dead inside of a room and Jesus raises her up, resurrects her. That's also a miracle. And yet for Mark's community, I don't think they experience those kinds of miracles anymore, like the way they remembered Jesus doing them in these stories. And so what does this mean for them in the midst of these miracle stories? I think what these stories might mean for Mark's community is what he says to that hemorrhaging woman, that her faith has made her well, that her faith has made her well. The word well is the Greek word seisokin, seisokin, which is really about this place of being saved or a quality of being made well in relationship with God. Your faith has made you well. Here's what I think this means. Here's what I think this means in the midst of not experiencing miracles, because I think we live in a world in which we don't often experience miracles like this as well, especially when it pertains to medical realities in our life, like these stories with the hemorrhaging woman and and the raising of the dead of a 12-year-old. We don't experience these miracles all the time. Here's what I think this might mean for us, is that when we have undergone this kind of transformation too, like that world over there that laughs at Jesus for their faith, but if this is the world that's overcome with amazement and we live into this faithful relationship with God, When you stand over there and you think about how faith can make you well, you just see this big canyon. You see this big canyon in between the two things because if you're like the hemorrhaging woman you want so desperately to be healed, or if you have a 12-year-old that's died, you so desperately want them to be made well and for them to be alive, you really want the end to be the thing that you want to have happen, right? That's the thing you so desperately want. And maybe in your prayer life with God, you say, God, will you please do this? But so often God doesn't answer that prayer, right friends? Perhaps you've been in that place where you ask that prayer, God, please do this. And God doesn't often answer that prayer and it can be so hard. But when we find ourselves in this faithful relationship with God, as one who is called daughter, your faith has made you well. I think what you can ask is, God, where are you faithful in the midst of what I am going through now? Where are you faithful in the midst of what I'm going through now? And when you begin to ask that kind of question of where are you faithful in the midst of what I'm facing, God will begin to show up in meaningful ways in your life so that there won't be just a canyon between there and here anymore, but you'll be able to see the steps where God was available to you, where God was present to you in the midst of that time. When it comes to trying to potty train my daughter, When it comes to trying to potty train my daughter, there's obviously times that are like deeply frustrating with that (laughs) because you want to get over here, right? You want to get to the end that you so desperately want to have happen. Yet I find myself even in my prayer life with that going, God, where are you faithful in the midst of me parenting this child? Where are you faithful in the midst of me parenting this child and how can I be a more loving parent? Can you show me that in my prayer life? Can you show me that? God answers that prayer all the time, friends. And maybe God might even provide some great resources to help you through that journey. Maybe you find yourself a bit like the hemorrhaging woman that's been bleeding for 12 years. Maybe you have a medical reality that you're facing that you just have not been able to figure out yet. And maybe you feel like the hemorrhaging woman too in the sense that like you've been to doctor after doctor after doctor 
Maybe you've received a medical bill for thousands of dollars and you're going into debt, you're going into debt, you haven't figured this out, this thing is so frustrating, I so desperately want to be healed, I so desperately want this miracle to take place in the midst of my life. Maybe you're on Medicare and you know that in the next month, to get the right kinds of things you need, you're gonna have to spend 50 hours a week on the phone, you know, calling people here, there. It can be so frustrating, making your way through these medical systems sometimes to get the care that you deserve, the treatment you need. And in the midst of that, I know our prayer is, I want this. We may not get that, but our prayer can be, God, where are you faithful in the midst of this? In the midst of this prayer, I think we might just hear Jesus say, Jesus, Jesus will say to us, daughter, son, your faith has made you well. I will show up and be faithful in the midst of this and be present in your life. And that wellness, that, that status of being saved will, will strengthen you and encourage you for that 50 hours of phone calls to keep fighting, to keep working, to, to get the kind of treatment that you deserve, that you desire. And there will be some kind of enriched quality of knowing God's faithfulness in your life and entering into this trusting relationship with God, no doubt, no doubt. Five years ago when I started out ministry here at Trinity, um, I was introduced right away to one of our members at the time, Paul Kalanithi. Uh, people said, you should go talk to Paul. Paul loves philosophy of science. You guys would have a great time together. And, and we did, we had some really great conversations together and I met him at his house and we had this wonderful time together. And, and when we left that time, I, I asked him, how can I pray for you, Paul? Paul was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer five years ago, and it was very clear where his journey was headed in the next few months. And his request for prayer was that he might be strong enough to come to worship one more time to receive communion on a Sunday. And I was happy to pray for him in that way, and, and he did. He came the next Sunday to worship, and he got to come to worship one more time to receive communion, and it was a beautiful moment. A few weeks after that, Paul's, Paul's lung cancer got much worse and much worse, and he was in the hospital for a couple of days, and it was becoming really clear that this was going to be the end of his life. And it was sometime in the morning, Pastor Mary let me know about it. Pastor Mary went to the hospital for three hours to go see the family and see Paul, and then I went to Stanford to see him for a few hours, and I went home. Pastor Mary came back for a few more hours, and then in the evening, I went back at like six o'clock, and I just stayed there for a few hours with the family in the room. And all that time, there's people coming in and out. Paul was a doctor at Stanford, so all of his colleagues were coming in and out of the room, saying their goodbyes to Paul, just being with him. His family was there, his daughter was there. And all the while, I was just in the room, sort of as a strange person in the space, being a pastor. And, and I was there for the last moment when Paul took his last breath. And all the while, obviously, there was weeping and wailing taking place in that space. But Paul's father reached over to me when it happened, and he just said, Pastor, will you lead us in prayer? And we all held hands together, laid hands on Paul in that moment. And though the end did not happen that they had hoped for, that he might be, that he might be healed from his disease, there was a quality of faithfulness presence in that room in the midst of our prayer together and our holding each other and our loving each other that God's love was made so powerfully known in that space. There was a wellness 
there was truly a wellness in that room. Jesus makes us well through faith, through God's faithfulness to us and embracing in our faithful response to God this trusting, deep relationship with God. We may not get the ends that we have, but we can entrust ourselves and our lives to God and say, God, where are you faithful in the midst of this? And God will show up. God will show up in this journey of our life, friends. These stories can be pretty hard because I think we want the miracle. We may not get the miracle, but we will get God's faithfulness made known to us. And in doing so, we will be made well. Jesus said to that woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. Will you join me in a word of prayer? God, may we know that wellness. May we know your faithfulness in our life, especially as it pertains to some of these health things that we try to do the best that we can in our life. We know, God, we may not always receive miracle, but we we entrust to you as our lives and our prayer lives and our faith. And God, may you be made known in the midst of our journey. Could we know your faithfulness and could we take on a kind of wellness as a result of that, a strength to face what we need to face? Lord, we give you thanks for all that you are and how you love us and how you're present in our lives. And we lift this up to you and we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.